Hello, I'm Pastor Rob Spencer of Church United. We are excited because God is at work in our community of Christ followers. And it is my hope that God works in your life as you listen to this message today. If you'd like more information about Church United, please visit us at churchunited.family. Um, and what you're going to find out today is you're going to find out a little bit about me. Uh, you're going to find out a little bit about my family. And, uh, and hopefully, uh, I'm going to get to find out a little bit about you too throughout this picnic So, uh, and our time together today. Man, uh, I, I'm really excited to be here. Uh, I'm really grateful to be up on this platform this morning because God has done some really cool things to get us here on this day. And it's more than just what's happened this summer. It's more than just what's taken place uh, at Church United and at First Light Church where, where we were. It, it's, it's the story of, of my life, which really, I hope, uh, just shines a light on the story of God throughout our, our time together today. Um, because it's just amazing what God has done. And Rob, as, as he said, and as he's been sharing with you, has asked me to share a little bit of my testimony and kind of how that weaves together with Church United. And, and I could give you a testimony that's about 10 seconds long. That's just this. Since I was born, I have been pursued by God and wrapped in his grace, mercy, love, and truth. And that would be a true testimony of my life. And you'll see a little bit of that. And then I could give you a testimony that could go for days and days and days, as you could. I've been alive for 47 years. And God has done more in these 47 years than I could ever ask, think, or imagine. But I'm going to try and go somewhere a little more than 10 seconds and a lot less than a couple days um, because I know that your attention span is about as long as your ability to sit. And so we're going to try and keep it uh, right in there and tell you a little bit about uh, what God is doing and, and how he's worked. So um, at the beginning of this summer, if you had told me that at the end of this summer, I was going to be in a different place. If you had said that to my wife, Holly, if you had said that to our children, we would not have imagined it. But we find ourselves at the end of this summer in a very different place than we were at the beginning of this summer. And God has done something that he's only done three times in my life. And that is he has abruptly and radically tra transitioned, changed the direction that he has called us to go in our lives. And that has us here at Church United this morning uh, with you. And so we're grateful for that. But I want to tell you a little bit about the story of how God did that. Because uh, at the beginning of the summer, when uh, Rob called Uncle Mark and, uh, and said, hey, can I talk to you about something? Um, my, I was perfectly content right where I was at at that point. I was, I was happy with the way things were. Um, I was in a church that um, really cater-made the job description that I was living out for me. It was, it was unbelievable. It was something that I thought could never be exceeded. We had just moved into a home that, that was a dream home for us. And, and you say, man, you're painting a pretty, um, this doesn't sound real great. Hang with me and, and just listen, because uh, we're going to make a transition here. But you, ha you have to hear what was going on in our lives to really see and understand at least a little bit of what God has done and how great and good he really is. So we're in this, we're in this great 
Uh, I, I loved my job. I loved the people that I work with. Rob is my best friend. But in ministry, that in the ministry I was just in, I was developing a best friend friendship with two of the individuals that I worked most closely with, the lead pastor and the executive pastor. They were dear, dear friends. Throughout this year, at the beginning of this year, God started this process in my life, and, and the only way I can describe it is a healing and growth process that I, I never imagined God would do in my life. And so when I hit the summer, I was on this in this place where I was just like, God, you are so good, and I can't imagine how things could get any better. I'm so content right where I'm at. My wife is so content right where she's at. My daughter and my son are both, they, we're all just in a place where it's like, Lord, you are so good. And that doesn't mean that life was perfect, but it means that we were perfectly content right where we were at. All these things, and Rob uh, calls me on the phone and, and basically says, hey, I, I know you love where you're at. Um, we've been accountability partners, not just best friends for years and years. And so Rob knows uh, my life, and, and I know Rob's life. And, and Rob says to me, I know you love your job. I know you love who you work with. I know you love what you do, and I know you love the direction that the church is going. But, and I, I was hesitant to make this call, but I just, God prompted me in prayer that I needed to ask you. Would you pray about coming to Church United? So I told him that I would pray because every opportunity that God ever brings my way, I pray about. Now, in the position that I've been in for the last few years, my prayer has always been kind of what I would call a token prayer. It's been that prayer where it's like, okay, Lord, um, I promised I would pray. I'm going to pray. Here's my prayer. Amen. Uh, now let's move on. And I prayed that prayer. That was the prayer that I prayed, and I've had two or three opportunities that I prayed through since I've been at this church that, I'm at in, that I was at in Dayton, and, uh, and that was enough. Like, God said, okay, you, you, you've done it, and this time God would not let me stop praying about it. He would not let me stop thinking about it, and I'm thinking, God, I'm perfectly content where I'm at. God, God, this is great. Um, Pastor Rob did a message He's been in this series, Get Out of the Boat, right? And a couple weeks ago, the, the idea that he left with Church United was hope floats, faith walks, something along those lines. And uh, this was, the prayer time was prior to this message, but now thinking back and reflecting back, putting it in those terms, God was saying to me, Mark, you're floating. Mark, I've done a lot of great things in your life, and I brought you here for a reason, and you've been obedient to me, but, but I want you to know that, that I've, got, I, I've got something where I want you to walk. Faith walks, Mark, and it's time to walk. You've been floating a little bit here. I know that's hard to, to believe, thinking about being in ministry and, and serving, but, but you can do those kinds of things. God brought me to that place, and, and it kind of reminded me of when I was a kid. We lived near a little river, uh, it's called Cook's Forest State Park in, in Pennsylvania. And uh, we would spend many holidays on this river, and we would float on inner tubes. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a great thing. You're out in the sun, you're enjoying the, the weather, and, and it's just kind of peaceful, and you hear the water flowing by, and it's just a great way to spend a holiday. You know, it's, it's just nice and relaxing, and life couldn't be better. Perfectly content to float down the stream, right? And then... Uh, I was introduced to, and I thought that was the great way to enjoy water until I was introduced to whitewater rafting. 
Uh, and then I realized that there's another way you can enjoy uh, water. And, and you don't just float. You're not perfectly content to float in whitewater rafting because when you get to a class three, four, five rapid, you've got to paddle. You, you've got to move. And for me, um, Ethan and I, my son, uh, were out in Montana a couple weeks ago for a father-son trip, and they took us for a day of whitewater rafting. So this was the first time I got to go with Ethan. And uh, and we're in the boat, and I always, they tell you to lock yourself in the boat. So you put one foot under one tube, and you put the other foot under the other tube, and if you're row, they say if you're rowing aggressively, you're not going to fall out of the raft, unless your name is Mark Simpson. Every rafting trip I have ever taken, I have fallen out in the rapids at least once. And this one was no different. So I fall out, and we're in a, it was a class three something rapid, so it wasn't really horrible, but, um, but there's water everywhere. And, and for those of you who've rafted, you know that they tell you if you fall out of the boat in the rapids, you swim aggressively to the thing that's closest to you, a raft or the shore. You swim aggressively. And so, so this is what I'm doing. I'm swimming aggressively to the raft, and and I get back in the raft, and, da- and Ethan looks at me, he goes, Dad, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine, bud. And, and he, he said to me, he goes, I figured you were. And I said, why'd you figure I was okay? He said, because you were smiling the whole time you were swimming toward the raft. Um, and I'll be honest with you, that's how I felt, too. I love, white- I love inner tubing down the river. That's really wonderful. I love whitewater rafting. It's going to sound crazy, but my favorite part of whitewater rafting is falling out of the raft. I realize it's incredibly dangerous, but there's nothing like being in the middle of all of that and feeling the power of the water and just, you know, there's a part of me that's praying, Lord Jesus, please don't let me die here, you know, but I've got this smile on my face. That's the idea of floating versus walking and what God has done in our life right now, and this is, I think, part of the reason why Rob asked me to share with you a little bit about kind of what's going on in our lives, is it's time to walk. It's... Faith is the kind of thing where you walk and, and maybe you don't know what's underground and there's dangerous things all around as Rob did such a great job of unpacking for us when Peter's walking in the midst of the storm, which I will agree wholeheartedly. Peter's the only one that gets out of the boat and he's the one that gets the bad rap for that whole, that whole story. I think that just stinks. But that's kind of the way we do it because we're perfectly content to stay in the boat, right? So what's going on in our lives right now as God said, to us. He said, I know you're perfectly content. I know that you're living in obedience to me. But I want the Simpson family to do something that as a family we've never done before. I want you to step into uncharted territory. All those things that you have that are wonderful, and they are blessings from the Lord. That job, blessing from the Lord. Those friendships, a blessing from the Lord. And those friendships going to continue to last. As I said yes to God, and as the Simpson family said yes, faith walks and we're going to walk, God has blessed us abundantly. Friendships that, that have started um, are continuing. Partnerships that, that have started are continuing. And all of those things, they're just things. They're just things that God has given us. And God reminded me um, that, that He can give again, but they're not ultimate things. And He reminded me of a passage of Scripture in John chapter 12 uh, where Jesus is, is 
sharing. And, and I want to read this to you, starting at verse 23, and then I'm going to read through verse 26, okay? Um, and you can just listen to these. If you want to write it down and look at it later, or if it's up on the screen, you can follow along there. But Jesus says this, Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. I've shared with you that, that this time is different. And I want you to understand just a little bit of, of how I kind of see what God's doing. And this is a story of, of my life. Remember, there are three times where God has kind of abruptly and radically changed course and said, it's time to take a step of faith that is bigger than you. Well, in this particular passage, it's in the Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus says over and over and over again, the hour has not yet come until we get to John chapter 12. And then all of a sudden he says, the hour has come. So what is going on in John chapter 12 is there is death all around. Shortly around this time, Lazarus was raised from the dead. Jesus is saying, it is time for me to go to my death. But did you notice what he said? The hour has come for me to be, anybody remember the word? Starts with a G. Say it out loud, you got it. Glorified. Hour has come for me to be glorified. Now I just told you that this is Jesus. John is using this. The hour has not yet come. The hour has not yet come. Now he says the hour has come. He's talking about Jesus' death. And Jesus starts this off preparing his disciples by saying the hour has come for me to be glorified. He's comparing glory to death. And I'm sure they were dumbfounded by that because he goes into an illustration. He says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it cannot produce life. Isn't that crazy? From something dead comes life. What Jesus is doing here is Jesus is basically letting them know this is the purpose for which I came. I've got to die in order for life to take place. And the amazing thing about this is he said it's not just life, it's much life. Some of you, I would imagine, are farmers or, or related to farmers or have farming in your, in your background. I grew up in a, in a, a, a farming community. And, uh, but the interesting thing about farming is back in Jesus' day, um, some of the farming practice that they did was they would take a single seed and drop it in a hole and then cover it. Ironically, that's a practice that's still uh, done today. One little seed in a hole, there's actually machines that, that do that, and then this little seed goes into the ground, it dies, and it's taking in nutrients, and then all of a sudden little hairs of roots come out that go down, and then this stalk shoots up, and what happens? One dead seed produces a great harvest. read a little account of a, of a gentleman who was doing a little bit of research on this, and he said, how, in, how much grain goes into an acre of land? Farmer said, we put about two bushels of grain into, into 
an acre, one to two bushels. So that'd be 60 to 120 pounds, roughly. And that would make about 42 loaves of bread, um, uh, some, something along those lines. Then the farmer said, but this is how much it produces. It, it produces that whole acre of grain, which is about the size of a foot, football field, and it can produce enough grain for enough bread for a family of four to eat for two to three years. Forty-two loaves of bread for, to enough to eat for 42 years. Forty to fifty bushelfuls of grain. 2,500 loaves of bread versus 42 loaves of bread. It's just amazing Think about this. And in John chapter 12, as I said, death is in the air. The Son of Man is going to be buried. He's going to go into the grave. It's not going to make sense to His disciples. As a matter of fact, it's going to end up being this thing where it devastates them. It depresses them. It causes them to be wandering aimlessly. Because their Savior, their Messiah has died. He's gone into the ground. And for three days, He's like that grain of wheat. That's what He's telling us in John chapter 12. He's died. But unless he dies, life cannot take place. Much life. Do you realize Jesus, one grain, died, went into the ground, and now the bread of life feeds the nations. Jesus Christ feeds the nations. That's the gospel. You know what the gospel is? little feedback here. You know what the gospel is? It's the good news. Is that good news? Jesus died. Sad about that. If we were one of the disciples, we probably would have had the exact same reaction as they did. Jesus lives. Because Jesus lives. The nations experience the bread of life. John chapter 3, verse 16. John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus in that verse says, I am the bread of life. He's not just talking about eating this way, he's talking about experiencing life. Now, here is the thing that I love about this, that God has been teaching me so clearly this, this uh, summer and throughout my entire life. Jesus, in John chapter 12, isn't just talking about himself. Jesus is telling us when he calls the disciples to follow him, when he calls us to follow him, he says, I want you to die so that you can live, and in you living, the bread of life will go out to the nations because you are my mouthpiece. You are my ambassadors. You are the ones who go and proclaim this. But in order for that to take place, you have to die. I have to die. Because it's only in Jesus' path, surrendering to Jesus' pattern of die, dying and rising that we experience this. It's not a fun message when you actually think about it. But the fruit of it is absolutely worth it. I've experienced that every time in my life whenever I've responded to Jesus' call to die. Because His call to die is one that is so worth it. For the Simply Simpson family, that, di that's, that dying right now is to the reality that we were perfectly content where we were. We're 
And yet, I want you to understand, we are gloriously excited to die to everything that we were perfectly content to and follow Christ into the great unknown, the uncharted adventure. And there is no other place we would rather be right now than Church United because this is where God has called us to for such a time as this. We praise God for that. Perfectly content. So let me ask you, are you perfectly content where you're at? Where in your life are you perfectly content where you're at? I want you to personalize this. Is there anything in your life that if God asked you to let it die, to bury it, to leave it behind, that you'd be reluctant, you would be hesitant, perhaps you would even refuse to part with it because you just can't do it? Don't settle for being perfectly content. As Rob reminded Church United, get out of the boat. Jesus wants us to go down into a death that will cause new life to spring up abundantly, but we cling to our old life. But to be healthy and fruitful, we must be always dying and rising. I'll tell you a little secret here that's not going to be a secret Surrendering to Jesus' pattern of dying and rising is the way that the church multiplies. That's the second part of of my story. Perfectly content, and I'm going to take you to these other two situations where God has radically and abruptly called me to take a faith walk that was very different from anything I'd experienced prior to that that kind of unpacks that for you. Because what I started to learn was there is this pattern of disciple making. This is the latest of God's call to die in my life. I came to know Christ when I was five years old at a VPS. My parents were uh, Roman Catholic and came to know Christ uh, when I was five. Um, And honestly, when I came to know Christ in VBS, I lived a pretty vanilla church kid life until I was about 15. And then at that point... I kind of chose to go the route of the prodigal. I had a bad experience with a youth leader, and I just decided that I was done with church. God was okay. A relationship with God was okay. That was kind of an important part of life, but it wasn't something that, that I was all in about. Honestly, it wasn't about dying. It was about me just being benefited by having that. So it was trendy. It was cool to say you followed Christ. It was, it was cool to say what church you were a part of, and, and you weren't ridiculed at school for any of those things. That's the generation that I grew up in. That's the culture that I grew up in. So church was okay. God was okay. Um, you didn't want to be an atheist, that kind of thing. But I was a prodigal, and I just did my own thing. Until, uh, and, and I did everything I could to stay out of church. Um, until the summer after I graduated from high school. And it was at that point that God took me two different times to church on Sunday evening, and both of those times, teenagers, my peers, were giving testimonies about how God was the central part of their life and how He had radically transformed them. And after the second time, God radically transformed my life. He radically and abruptly said, I don't care that you're perfectly content to be a prodigal. I don't care that you're perfectly content with just kind of making me a a, a part of your life. I want all of you. So it was at that point that summer 
that I went home and I had a conversation with my, my father and my mother and, and uh, we prayed together. And uh, this is just kind of how I've been. You, you saw pictures up here and uh, Rob and I were talking about this just last night. Um, it, it's crazy to me because whenever that happened in my life and God said, I want you to take this step of faith and I want you to be all in, to me, it, it meant that you, you go into ministry. That was where I sensed my call to ministry. And, and for me, the ironic thing is the way that God uses our pain to actually um, to direct our path. I wanted to go into youth ministry because I wanted to be a youth leader that encouraged teenagers not to be prodigals. I wanted to be a youth leader who believed in teenagers, and no matter how bad off they were, no matter how many people had written them off, I knew Jesus never wrote them off, so I would never write them off, and they would experience grace and truth from this youth leader by the grace of God. It's interesting that my pain of having a poor experience with a youth leader really kind of drove that. But for me, whenever I made that decision that summer after high school, it completely changed everything about my life. I dropped my plans to go to college. I dropped my plans for the career that I was looking into. I, I dropped, uh, I, I told all of my friends why I wasn't going to college, and they started calling me a very heavily Catholic area that, that we lived in, and a lot of my friends were Catholic. They started calling me a priest. Um, so uh, um, I was priest Mark uh, during that time. Gave up all of that and just poured myself into ministry. And of course, Randy Spencer was my pastor. Lynn Spencer was the children's director. And, and Rob and I had been friends because I grew, we grew up in the church together. And uh, Lynn is never at a shortage. If, if you know anything about Lynn, she's never at a shortage for finding ways that you can be involved in ministry. As long as you're prepared just to do just about anything, like put on a baby bonnet or stick a pacifier in your mouth or dress up like alfalfa or put on a Barney outfit and get beat up by the little kids. I mean, you know, or put on a monkey suit and make a dance and dance around with somebody else in a monkey suit. All things that I did, and I thought that was normal for ministry. I didn't realize that there are people who come to know Christ and say, you know what, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It means to come to a building on a Sunday morning, sit in a chair, put a couple dollars in a plate, walk out and say, that was great, have lunch and never think about the church ever again. I had no idea that that was what people thought church was all about. I thought church was, man, when Jesus gets your heart and you start taking a faith walk, you pour yourself in and you will do anything. Because Jesus has saved you from hell. And that's been my posture since that day. I don't know that there's ever been any ministry and any and ever are kind of dangerous words because somebody could probably come up with something, but I've never thought a ministry is below me. I've never thought something that you do in the church is, is, is below me or I don't know. Um, Somebody says, I, I'd like you to do this. I, barring an inability that, uh, you know, physically I'm unable. And even then, I'll say, if God called me, God will equip me. You know, it's just always been my posture. So from that point on, I started pursuing student ministry, youth ministry. And so I um, went to school for that. I, I served uh, for several years in a couple different ministries with children and youth and 
and, uh, and families and just pouring myself into that. And God was gracious during that time. Uh, Holly and I got married. And, and uh, as we've been packing and moving and getting ready to move and kind of working our process here, I came up with this little piece of ripped off tablet paper that I, came, that, uh, I wrote when I was 18 years old, just a couple months after um, I gave, I, I just, God radically transformed and said, I want you to take this step and I want you to walk by faith and, and I, want, I don't want you to be perfectly content in this. I want you to be perfectly content in me. All of those things. I had this little paper that I wrote in youth ministry and I had all these things that I wanted to see God do. And uh, Holly and I were dating at the time and I had shown it to her and she, write, she wrote on it, me too, with a big exclamation point. And I've saved that all these years. That was 20, 29, I think 29 years ago, 30 years ago, something like that. It was a long time ago. I can't believe I'm that old. Um, and, and I looked over that and I thought, I, I remember the time when I was 27 years old. Mackenzie had just been born and I had that sheet of paper then. And I pulled it out and I looked and I said, God has answered every one of these desires. Every one of these desires is a reality in the ministry that I'm in right now. God is so good. And God is so great because He made all of these things happen through me. Like, the, He used me to do this. And if you know me and you'll get to know me, you'll probably go, man, God is really great if He was able to do that. Because that's kind of the way it was. And that's what I was thinking in that moment. And then... I was at a conference for youth workers and I was sitting in a breakout and I, I'm not one who hears God's voice audibly in my life um, on a regular basis. I've, I've ne I, never, I don't believe I've ever heard God's voice audibly in my life. This was the closest thing ever to that. Sitting in this breakout and I hear God say in my mind, Mark, it's time to go to seminary. I wasn't a big fan of school wouldn't believe that now if you so I wasn't a big fan of reading you wouldn't believe that now if you saw the books that I have and things like that but at that time I wasn't a real big fan of all of that I just wanted to get out of school as quickly as possible and get into ministry so the fact that God said that was abrupt change number two abrupt and radical faith walk I got up out of that breakout I walked into the hallway I immediately called Holly and I said Holly God just spoke to me I can't explain it but we have got to go to seminary she, again, she knew that everything we had ever dreamed for student ministry, for ministry, was right there in our lap. It was in our hands. We were enjoying it, and we were perfectly content to be youth pastors and youth pastor's wife. God said, I want you to go to seminary. She said, why? And I said, I don't know. But as I prayed, God continued to unpack what that was. I still had a passion for the local church and a call to be a pastor that has never changed. But I believe God was calling me to lead and to disciple and to develop leaders because what I was seeing over and over and over again was what I saw in youth ministry. I would see young people in youth ministry who fell through the cracks. I would see prodigals who, who went by the wayside. I would see teenagers who graduated and they would go into college and they would never, they would walk away from their faith. And I was seeing this among leadership and I was thinking, why? Of course teenagers are going to do this. They're seeing a model for them. You've got pastors who don't finish well. 
They have moral failures and they leave the ministry to go because of burnout. They leave the ministry because of depression. They leave the ministry because churches abuse them. They leave the ministry just because they get tired or, or all of these things. But you've got pastors who are walking away and they don't finish well. Either God didn't call them or they're walking away from that call because the enemy has overwhelmed them. Realized God was calling me. Stay connected to the local church and to be a discipler of people. But a big part of that in some way was going to be developing leaders who stuck with it. That's why God called me to seminary. But I looked at churches and there was no open doors for like nobody had that kind of ministry. Nobody had a pastor who was like the pastor who builds pastors. So I thought, well, maybe I'm supposed to go and teach at a school. And that didn't fit either because I'm like, I'm, a, I'm called to be a pastor. Little did I know that this process was not just going to be a process of going to seminary. This process was also a process of those things that I talked about. Praise God, I never experienced a moral failure. But burnout, abusive churches, discouragement, depression, brokenness, anxiety, all of those things that I saw that pastors were leaving the ministry for, God allowed me to taste every one of those. The bitter cup of those things. Experience the heartache and the heartbreak and the challenge and the difficulty of those things. And if God had told me whenever He he spoke to me in that moment, in that breakout at that youth conference, I want you to go to seminary. Oh, and by the way, in this new direction that I'm taking you to, you're going to go through all of this in order to be prepared to do what I'm calling you to do. I would have hung up the phone and said, God, I'm going somewhere else. Because when God calls us to die, it's not always with us. You don't always have that smile on your face as you're swimming aggressively because it's fun to be in the middle of the danger. Sometimes it really hurts. Sometimes it breaks. Sometimes it pushes you farther. Most of the time it pushes you farther than you can handle. That's why it's called dying. God let me go through all of that. God let my family go through all of that. God said, I have a purpose and a plan for you. And that purpose and plan will only come if you surrender to my pattern of dying and rising so that the church can I want to be a part of the church multiplying. I don't believe that there's anywhere in Scripture where God says, start a church, you're done. I believe the pattern that we see in the Bible is a pattern that is repeated over and over again. I'm going to give you some verses to look up that fit this pattern. I'm going to wrap up with this. This will be a quick flyby of the New Testament. So, Here's the pattern. It's equipping. It's, it's a cycle of seeing people become followers of Jesus Christ. And a follower of Jesus Christ who's someone who says, I surrender and I will die and Jesus, I trust that you will raise me up. 
And in that dying, sometimes it's going to be painful. And in that dying, the only thing I'm going to have they'll cling to is you. That's what's made it so challenging and this time for our family is we literally this time, we've, we've transitioned churches different times, but a lot of times they've been those safe and calculated moves. Holly has said to me repeatedly this summer, she's like, this isn't like you. I, I analyze, I calculate, I plan, I think through every detail, I make sure that it's all, you know, I can put a bow on it. And this time I haven't done that because I can't. That doesn't mean that I'm not excited to be here. That doesn't mean that I'm so grateful that God has called us here. But here's what it means. If Jesus does not come through during this whole transition process, the Simpson family will cease to be the Simpson family as we know them today. We are completely dependent on the power of God in this move. I'll tell you a couple reasons why that's the case. My daughter Mackenzie is in cosmetology school and she doesn't finish cosmetology school until the first week of November. So here's a first for the Simpson family. Mackenzie goes back to Ohio tomorrow. Mackenzie will be in Ohio until the beginning of November. She'll be finishing up school there. Ethan is going to be here going to school starting on Thursday. Mackenzie goes back to school on Tuesday. Kenzie's in Ohio, and so Holly, my wife, is going to be spending most of her time in Ohio with Mackenzie, and I'm going to be spending most of my time here in Virginia with Ethan, uh, but, uh, and so we're not going to see one, uh, one another all that much, and that's been difficult for us as a family. We're a pretty close family, and maybe you're in here and you're, going, you're saying, you know what, I don't see my family much, and it's not that big a deal, and Maybe it isn't for you, and that's okay, but for us, that's a huge deal. That's like hearts being ripped out, you know? We're not going to see one another. We haven't sold our house yet, a house that we bought just eight months ago. So um, I'm not a big fan of selling houses. Um, I'm not a big fan of, like, I'm not a big fan of HGTV. I probably just made some people mad at me. Here's why I'm not a big fan of HGTV. I remember a time when you said you wanted to sell a house, and all you had to do was call a realtor, and they came and put a for sale sign in front of your, in your front yard. If you haven't sold a house in a while, that doesn't happen anymore. Now, you say, I want to sell a house, and you have a realtor come out and say, okay, well, you have to do this thing called staging. Has anybody ever heard of staging a house? If you watch HGTV, you have. Some of you love Magnolia. I'm not a huge fan. All right? Magnolia just wants to come in and make it look beautiful and perfect. And so now the standard that everybody looks at houses for is Magnolia. And it's like, oh my word, are you kidding me? It's going to kill me. Not in like the dying for Christ way, it's going to kill me. <laughs> a couple times this week where, um, I, man, I just took my eyes off of Jesus so bad on Thursday and Friday. And we're driving, we were driving here yesterday, Ethan and I. We're in the truck, and we have a trailer full of stuff behind us, and Ethan, Ethan looks at me. I was hanging curtain rods on Friday night, and um, I lost my religion. Um, I did not cuss um, externally. It in my mind. And Ethan said to me on the way here, he goes, Dad, I've never seen you like that before. <laughs> like, I mean, you... 
you were really mad. He's like, you, were, you weren't saying nice things about people who created curtain rods. I said, did you throw that curtain rod across the room? I said, yeah. One thing. <laughs> it was not a pretty sight. I'm going to lose my mind with this staging stuff. But that's another part of it. We've got to get all that ready. We've got to sell our house. So if you think to pray for the Simpsons, you can pray secondarily that our house sells. Here's what I would ask that you pray primarily. That we never take our eyes off Jesus. Because our house can sell, and I can still not consider that a victory in terms of my faith in Christ. Because I did it myself. Because I got selfish. Because I let my anger get the best of me. If my focus stays on Jesus, then whether my house sells or my house doesn't sell, whether we need to rent it or somebody buys it, whatever happens with all of that, I'm, my eyes are fixed on Jesus and I know that I'm just a grain of wheat that dies and multiplies. And Jesus will raise me up how He sees fit and it doesn't matter what happens to my earthly home because I have a heavenly home and no one can change that. And the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is staging that one. Not me. So let me get back to this, this pattern here. I got off track a little bit. I apologize. So here's the cycle. Seeing people become followers of Jesus Christ, equipping them as disciple makers, and sending them out to raise up other followers of Jesus Christ. That should sound a little bit familiar because that is Church United's heart. That is the foundational framework. Let me show you how it works in, uh, in the New Testament. Jesus shows this pattern because with his disciples, he invites them to follow him. In Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20, he says, follow me. And they dropped everything and they followed him. Remember, surrendering to Jesus' pattern to die and rise is how the church multiplies. They dropped everything and they followed him because that's what it means to follow him. To drop everything and follow him. That's in Mark chapter 1. And then after his ascension, um, he called them, uh, or he sends them out two by two in Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13. So what's he doing? Follow me, then he equips them, and then after his ascension, he sends them out to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus wasn't content with just gathering people together. Follow me, get trained, and go. So then the disciples followed that pattern. In Acts chapter, uh, in Acts chapter uh, 2, verses 42 through 47, after Peter preaches his sermon, we see that the church gathered, and what did they do? They gathered around the teaching of the apostles, and they had everything in common, right? So they follow, and then they're being trained, and in Acts chapter 20, or excuse me, Acts chapter 8, verse uh, 4 through 8, they go out to the crowds, and then the crowds are scattered and go about preaching the word to the respective cities and towns in which they settled. And in Acts chapter 8, one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, it said, as they went out and they proclaimed the gospel, the cities were filled with joy. Paul follows the same pattern. He displays this in planting churches throughout the Roman Empire, coordinating a team of leaders to continue to lead and shepherd those churches, and then equipping the saints to do the same with each succeeding generation. You see it in Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, and then Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 35, and he tells Timothy, his young protege, he calls him my true son in the faith in 1 Timothy, and in 2 Timothy he says to them, the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to other men who will be able to pass it on to others. You see 
what he's saying? This is a legacy. And we would not be here today if the New Testament did not follow that pattern. And then every succeeding generation followed that pattern. You are a church plant from Calvary Baptist Church because Calvary Baptist Church believed that whenever we surrender to Jesus' pattern or design to die and rise, the church multiplies. I am so grateful and excited to be a part of Church United, a church that says we are going to surrender to Jesus' pattern to die and rise. And we'll rejoice and celebrate that God graciously allows us to multiply. One little grain, we die. Who knows what could happen in Augusta County? Let's spread the bread of life to all nations. Pray with me. Yes, you feel free to applaud. Yes. By, by all means, feel free to applaud. Let's pray together. Father, we just... Oh. God, I'm so grateful. So undeserving, Lord, to stand in this place but God, I can do nothing but say so, to, to, to give testimony to the way that you've worked in my life. Just a simple, a simple little boy from western Pennsylvania with not a whole lot to offer, God, except open hands that are willing to do whatever it is that you call me and equip me to do, Father. And through all of these years, the incredible blessing of that how can I not give testimony? Lord, as hard as it's been each time that you've called to die in ways that are fresh and new and, and uncharted territory, Lord, you have been so, so faithful. More faithful than anything you've ever asked. Faithfulness is greater. It's new every morning. talked a lot about what you've done in my life, Lord. My prayer, wrap up, Lord. All of my life has not been for me alone. Talk about single grains, but as your ambassadors, you mobilize local churches. You don't just mobilize pastors. You, you mobilize your people to follow you, to be equipped and to go. And so I pray for the people in this room, Lord. And I pray for the people who have yet to come to this room, Lord. I pray for their salvation. I, I pray, Lord, that they would return to you, Lord. And I pray for the churches that will be launched from this place. I pray for the churches that will be right, revitalized from this place, not because of Pastor Rob, not because of, because of Pastor Mark, not because of, of us, Lord, but because of your body here at Church United who catches fire, who grabs hold of the power of your spirit and the, and the, the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, recognizes that we can't hold it in can't stay perfectly content where we are. 
not take these steps today. We've got to die. Because the church has to multiply.